So we're going to uh, wrap up our um, series called Grace Period today. We've been looking at this time um, during the course of uh, the biography of Matthew in which Jesus is presented as, as really having a smooth sailing, that there's no, no real opposition that is formed against him at this point. And so he's kind of operating, and it's interesting to, to, to follow him and see how far does he go um, given that kind of open highway. And so that's the, the thing we've been looking at. And as we will see today, he runs into his first real opposition. And, and, uh, and we will uh, continue on from there uh, uh, some other day. But today we're going to conclude this passage by looking at demons. And uh, that's, that's a hard thing, particularly in a, in a mainline church like ours. Um, uh, we don't hear a lot about demons. It's difficult, I think, for a lot of people to take demons seriously. Um, uh, maybe, maybe for us, like, like I was talking with the children, maybe for us demons are kind of comic characters. You know, you know the person at work that you can never think of a demon without thinking about the time they dressed up in the red costume and had the pitchfork and the little horns. And to you, a demon is kind of a silly idea. And you just kind of think, well, you know, how can, how can we really take demons seriously? Um, and yet, the, the New Testament does take, take demons seriously. In fact, the New Testament actually takes demons more seriously than the Hebrew scriptures do. Um, so, so if Jesus takes uh, demons seriously, and if the apostles and the, the saints of the church have taken demons seriously, then we should probably take demons seriously too. And yet, I know, uh, I know it's difficult because we live in a material age. Um, and um, even if we are very spiritual people ourselves, uh, it's, it's hard not to be um, not to be caught up in that that uh, spirit of materialism that that uh, is part of our world. So, so uh, before I go on, I want, I want to address people who are kind of in the same place, uh, saying, you know, I have difficulty taking demons seriously, or maybe maybe my problem is I take demons too seriously. That we think of demons as being um, a kind of a tragic element of the human story. Uh, years ago, I read this book. It's by Carl Sagan. Um, it's called the the demon haunted world, and in it he says basically that that it's it's a shame that humans um, evolved. Uh, sorry, the sticker's in the way. So the demon haunted world. Um, so um, uh, he said it's a shame that that humans came up with the idea of demons. That that we are basically fearful people because of because of this this uh, unscientific worldview that that we just imagine that there's there's dangers lurking behind every bush and everything, and um, and how much better it'd be if we were all rational scientists like he was. So, so, um, uh, and, and I think he was very sincere in that. But uh, if if you're if you have that mindset or if you know people who have that mindset. Um, I want to I want to at least offer a thought that maybe can kind of redeem the the concept of demons before we go any further because I don't want there to be any any unnecessary resistance as we look at what happened when Jesus encountered these demons. And and it it has to do with this. Um I think I think the idea of demons, I think the reason primitive cultures as Carl Sagan would call them, uh, developed the idea of demons um was at least this and it may have been more. Um it's 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 a it's a um it's Fundamentally, a merciful idea, and it goes like this: um, Why are people like that? You, you know that guy. You know that woman. You know why is she like that? Why does she behave irrationally? Why is he so self-destructive? You know, think of think of that that question you ask about somebody. You know, why the the politician on TV or the 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 leader of some other country or or the guy at the cubicle next to you at work, 
you know, why are they that way? What is, what is going on with them? Why, what's wrong with that person? And, and is it, is it internal to them or is it external? Where's the, where's their wrongness? Whatever it is that's wrong with them, is it located inside them or is it located outside them? You know, I think for a lot of people, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's something external that, 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 you know, they had a bad childhood. You know, they weren't educated well. Um, they, they didn't have the opportunities that other people had. Um, maybe, maybe it's something, you know, that's, uh, they didn't just have a metaphorically toxic environment, but they had a toxic environment. I was reading something about the, the correlation between, um, murder, uh, convictions and the presence of lead oxide in the atmosphere from back when we used to have, um, leaded gasoline. So maybe there were actually toxins that, that, you know, these external factors that made people the way they are. So, so, are, is, is the problem with people that, that it's from the outside? Is that there's something in their upbringing, something in their history? You know, his dad was an alcoholic or, or dad was an alcoholic, but, you know, it was really granny. You know, the stories I've heard about granny, you know, she was, she was crackers. You know, uh, you know, is it outside of them? Or is it inside of them? You know, because we know there's, there's people where we say, well, we understand it's inside them. If somebody who's suffering from chronic pain, you know, they're going to be kind of a jerk sometimes. Um, people who are suffering from a mental illness, that, that they don't see the world the same way you do, and so they're going to be reacting in a different way. And so maybe that it helps to explain why they act that way. But, but, so, so, so picture that guy, that, that woman, who, who does the things and you say, where is the wrongness located? And then do this. Say, okay, during my life there's been so much progress, okay, you know, however much you, you imagine the, that there's been, you know, the doctors can do more things or, or, um, we have a better understanding, we have less stigma around mental illness, whatever, whatever it is. So think about progress and then run that forward 10 or 20 lifetimes, okay, just 500 years, a, a long period of time. And then ask yourself this, will that progress continue? And if not, why not? And if it does continue, then will everyone have access to it? Will everyone who doesn't have access today have access to it? And if not, why not? And if they do have access to it, does that mean there won't ever be any people like that anymore? That we can actually achieve a point in human history where there aren't any people who act that way. See, because if you get to that place and at some point you say, you know what, that's too science fiction for me. I can't imagine that kind of utopia. Then, then the, the question to the follow-on question is, at that point, you're kind of constrained to do one of two things. You're, you're going to say, it's because some people are just bad. Some people are evil. Some people are greedy. Some people are racist. Some people intrinsically broken people. But, but Christianity has resisted ever locating the source of evil in people. We say people are weak. We say people go along with evil. We say people are sometimes overcome by evil. But we resist saying that the source of evil is ever in a person. Christianity says that evil always comes from outside. And it may come to us through our family tree, or it may come to us uh, due to due to the circumstances of our own life. But Christianity resists the idea of locating evil internally. And so that's how the idea of demons 
is, I think, a merciful move. So if you're thinking like Carl Sagan, that demons are kind of some primitive idea that's designed to hurt people or scare people or manipulate them, maybe, maybe they've been used that way sometimes, but I think they're fundamentally a merciful idea that anybody you ever meet is at worst overcome by evil. They are never the source of evil. So what I want to do today is I want to look at this lesson where Jesus meets two people who have been overcome by evil. We hear they're violent, they hurt people. But we begin by remembering what Paul teaches us in the book of Ephesians. He says, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers of the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So our first point is we have enemies, but they're not in people you meet. They are in the unseen places. We have enemies in unseen places. And they are enemies. They are not friends. They're not, they're not people you can somehow come to an agreement with somehow. Our enemies are hostile and they're liars. They're deceptive and they're malevolent. They are opposed to God and to people. We see this throughout the scriptures. When Jesus is tempted, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. The devil knows he's the son of God, but he's twisting the truth because the devil's a liar. He says, if you really are the son of God, he's trying to create some doubt. Maybe I'm not. Paul says this in the second letter to the Corinthians. He says, I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. And then Jesus says this. He says, he, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we have enemies, according to the New Testament. We have enemies, and they are hostile to us us and to God. So what I want to do now is look at the story of the two people who were overcome by our enemies. So we pick it up in verse 28. When Jesus, um, when Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake, remember, we've been trying to get to the other side of the lake for a couple of weeks now, but he's finally arrived. And um, so, so here he is in the region of the Gadarenes, and two men who were possessed by demons met him. They came out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through that area. Now, the tombs, uh, I think, you know, in a Halloween age, we immediately go to, you know, did they just like hanging out in graveyards? And I don't know, maybe they were, they were, they were attracted somehow to the symbols and, 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 uh, 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 uh trappings of death. Maybe that was it. But maybe, uh, I think it's equally likely that they were simply social outcasts, that nobody else wanted to go to the tomb, to, to the tombs. And so that was a place where they could actually uh, be left alone and, you know, at, at the risk that then their only companions were the demons. So they came out of the de- out of the tombs and were so violent that no one could go through the area. And they began screaming at Jesus, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come to, to torture us before God's appointed time? And I want to unpack that. That's, a, that's an amazing statement that they make. Um, so they say, why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Why are you not in your own lane? Why aren't you sticking to your own business, Jesus? As if there were any part of heaven or earth that Jesus did not have authority over. Uh, in in the, end of, the end of Matthew's biography, Jesus will say, 
all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he's saying, he's saying these, these demons, because they are liars, they are saying, why are you not in your lane? Why did you stick to your appropriate spot? Jesus is in his appropriate spot. But what do they say? Why, why have, you, have you come to torment us before God's appointed time? How would they know what God's appointed time is? Jesus has said that only the Father knows the appointed time, that the, the, the hour is known not even to the Son, but only to the Father alone. Certainly demons don't know. So they're trying to create doubt. They're saying somehow you're off schedule. You're, you're, you're not in your lane, and besides, your timing is wrong. Demons are liars. And then what do they do? They say, have you come to torture us? You know, and I think, I think to a certain mindset, this is, this is an illustration that God somehow enjoys tormenting devils. We hear about lakes of fire and things like that, that, that God is, is as, just as sadistic as the devils. But the New Testament tells us that God uh, cannot do evil, cannot even be tempted to do evil. That God is not evil. So the, the question for me is, is this the, the demons are projecting their own, their own warped, uh, uh imagination onto God? I, I actually don't think it is. I think it's not, um, projection. I think what Jesus is doing is he's threatening to expose them. The word for torture here is, is an interesting word. I actually looked it up. Um, and it comes from, it comes from the ancient world when someone would show up in town and they'd have some coins you didn't recognize who was on it or whatever. You, you'd weigh it, but you still didn't know is that really the right kind of metal, right? So what do you do? Well, you know, you can, you can melt it or you can, you know, do a density check, you know, with, you know, like Archimedes with the bathtub thing, you know. Uh, there's things you can do to find out what's in that. And so over time, the idea is when you, when you subject a coin to that kind of examination to see what it really is, uh, it would be really painful if it was a person. And so now this is a first century thing. Uh, back in the first century, you have a witness on the stand. How do you know if he's telling the truth? Well, you subject him to painful interrogation. They would torture people. So the word actually came from study of coins to study of witnesses. And so the word came to mean torture because in the first century, that's how you, that's how you interrogated a witness. But I think what Jesus is, is, is guilty of, if he's guilty of anything, is just that idea of I'm exposing what you are because you are a hidden force of evil in the unseen places. And I am exposing you to daylight here. And that is what you find so terrible. Jesus says in, in um, John's, John's biography, he says, all who do evil hate the light. So it is torture, but it's only torture because it's exposing them to the light. So second point, Jesus has authority over the unseen realm. He has authority over the unseen realm, and the unseen realm fears Jesus' authority. So we pick it up in verse 30. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into that herd of pigs. Jesus says, all right, go. Jesus commands them. So the demons came out of the men and entered into the pigs, and the whole herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. And I think in the first century, particularly to a Jewish audience, they would have said, good, you know, Problem solved. Um, I think today, um, I see there's someone in my Facebook feed who has a, who has a animal rescue, uh, uh, sanctuary. And so, um, and, and there's routinely pictures of cute little pigs in, in that, um, and so, uh, so I'm not sure if we, if, if we read this the same way that the original audience did. But, um, I don't think Jesus is just being mean to pigs. I think what Jesus is doing is he is, Again, exposing 
what the demons are all about. You know, people, you know, you, you know when you fill out the, the, that same social media platform, when you fill it in, you, there's these questions where you can say it's complicated because people are complicated. People's relationships are complicated. It's sometimes hard to, to, to uh, make sense of them all. And I think that's why demons love us so much because, because we're complicated and they can hide better. And I think in a herd of pigs, you know, the social relationships are a lot simpler. And honestly, the motivations are probably not nearly as tricky either. And I think the pigs, when they're tormented by the devils, by the demons, they run down, down the hill into the water. Because that's all pigs really can do. Whereas humans can really make a hell for their friends and their neighbors. And that's what the demons really enjoy. So I think Jesus is exposing, by using the pigs, exposing what the demons always do. But he's doing it in a way that makes it easy for us to see. So Jesus is exposing what what the demons are about. And there's also a, another side note. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, and, and really in some, some uh, mystical traditions today, there's this idea that this world is, is some kind of material prison. And we can, we can long to be freed from, from the shackles of this material world. That I long for a, for a spiritual existence. If I could only free my spirit from this, this veil of tears and then kind of float off into the ether and just be part of, you know, kind of one with, with something. You know, I grew up watching Star Trek and there was always these energy beings that would just have this disembodied existence. And it's interesting to me because the, the Bible is, 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 is very much opposed to that. We see here that the demons, given the choice of a return to an immaterial existence and living in a pig, pick the pig. Because they say, you know what, I've tried the immaterial existence and I like material better. And that's, that's interesting to me because as a Christian, we don't believe in a disembodied future. We believe in a bodily resurrection. That when we die, we will go to be with the Lord, but at the resurrection, our bodies will be raised imperishable and we will be with the Lord forever. So we don't believe in that immaterial existence. And here it seems as if, um, not that we can trust what demons say, but we can look at what they do, and they don't like the idea of having an immaterial existence. So, so um, Jesus. the third point, Jesus exposes and overthrows every power opposed to the gospel. Jesus overthrows them, he moves them out into the pigs, but by doing so, he exposes what they are really about. So we pick it up now in verse 33. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, telling everyone what happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the entire town came out to meet Jesus, but they begged him to go away and leave them alone. Why did they do that? Right? Here's this miracle worker. They, they know George and Fred. They've been out there in the yard, you know, in the tombs. Why, why aren't they excited? Why don't, why don't they throw a parade? Well, we know why, because we make our own accommodations with evil. That, you know, as long as they stay in the tombs, as long as they stay in the in, encampments, as long as they stay out of my hair, as long as it doesn't affect me personally, you know, that's not my problem. You know, it's too bad, you know, I'm sorry about it, but, but it's not my problem. And I think that's exactly what these people are doing. They're saying, look, the better the devil I know, the devil that doesn't bother me and does bother them, then this new thing you're bringing into town, Jesus. But of course, we never know a liar, do we? So Christians are not called to make an accommodation with evil. Instead, we're called to resist evil. 
Paul, uh, Peter says this, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Um, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. So how do we do that? How do we stand firm? How can we stand firm against the spiritual forces of evil in the unseen places? Well, the first thing we do is we can externalize the evil that we encounter. We can externalize the evil. That means the guy at work, the dictator on the TV show, whatever it is, the bank robber, the person who hurt you very badly, they have guilt. They have culpability. I'm not saying they get off the hook. But I am saying we as Christians externalize the evil. We say they were a participant in the evil, but they were not the source of the evil. That we always externalize the evil. And by doing so, we can pray for our enemies. We can even love our enemies. Jesus tells us, he says, I do not, he says, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. This is how come nonviolent resistance works. Or why it has worked. Because, because we can appeal to the humanity. You can never appeal to the evil. But you can appeal to the humanity, but only by remembering that there is humanity there. So, we do not um, resist an evil person. And we do so by externalizing the evil. We put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Um, Paul says that in the Ephesians passage we quoted earlier. And he says this, he says, When I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. That by forgiving people, I am I am outwitting Satan, which is a tricky thing to do. Don't Don't think you can do it in any other area, but this is one area where you can. Because what Satan wants, what the spiritual forces of evil want, is to stir up trouble. That when you have a good argument, you know, over the kitchen table, picture somewhere there is a spiritual power in the unseen places grinning. And when you forgive, you're making them sad. So we can externalize the evil. The second thing we can do is we can work to expose the hidden powers. We can work to expose the hidden powers. In um, in the letter to the Colossians, Paul says this, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, through him, to God the Father. Christians believe that everything we do, when we work for progress, when we clean up the environment by getting rid of the lead oxide, when we we eliminate parasites that, that affect people's minds, when we, when we fight against um, mental illness, everything we do to make the world a better place shrinks the areas that the unseen forces can hide in. That if, if the world's just a big, ugly mess then they could be anywhere. As, as Carl Sagan says, they could be behind any bush. But as we do the work that God has given us to do, whatever, whatever your role, whatever your role may be, whatever purpose you serve in the world, if you make the world a better place, you're actually shrinking the area in which the unseen forces can operate. So we work to expose the hidden powers. And then finally, we can encourage the, we can encourage the afflicted. Because everybody's inflicted. I, I was reading something. This is um, a different tradition than ours, but they have they have categories. They talk about being afflicted, being oppressed, and being possessed. That there's actually these this hierarchy. But I think everybody is afflicted to some degree, either either currently right now or they're still bearing the injuries of an affliction that that they had to deal with 
at an earlier part of their life. So everybody's afflicted, and we can encourage one another. That's what Paul says in the letter to the Thessalonians. Encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. We urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak and be patient with everybody. We can provide community for the isolated. We don't have to have them out in the tombs or in the encampments. And we can share the good news that Jesus is here and Jesus has authority that the spiritual forces fear. Martin Luther, in, in his um, his great song, uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he says, Though this world with demons uh, be with demons filled, he says, Our God is a fortress. Our God is not only a fortress in the sky, but our God is a fortress who came down to the earth and is shrinking the parts of the world that are accessible to the unseen forces of evil. So encourage one another. Work to expose evil where, wherever it may be. And remember that anybody you meet is not themselves intrinsically evil. They may be overcome by evil, but they are never the source of evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we absorb so much from the culture around us that it's easier for us to to laugh at demons than to take them seriously the way Jesus and all of the other people we meet in Scripture do. Lord, help us to take them seriously, not to be afraid of them, but to recognize that their time is limited and that that uh, Jesus is even now working to overthrow and expose them. Guide us so we can be about our proper work to participate in that exposing and help us to encourage those who are afflicted. We pray it to Christ our Lord. Amen. The um, the the band's about to come up, um, and, and we're going to celebrate communion in a minute. They're going to sing a song uh, with us uh, here. Um, but before we do, I want I want to tell you about what we're about to do. We're about to, as I said earlier, we're about to celebrate communion. Um, this is something that Christians do in in every place, and and a lot of them are celebrating in a special way today to remember that we're part of a great big church, and. Um, I want to extend a special invitation for those of you who don't feel that maybe it's for you, that that maybe that you're aware of some some sin in your own life or or just some some tape that's playing in your head. Somebody told you that God could never love somebody like you. I want you to know that Jesus commanded the church to make this table ready exactly for people like you. That this this table is not the table of the church and and holy people. It's the table of the Lord, and He said that everyone should be uh, given access to this table. So I invite you to come to this table trusting in the Lord because it is here you will meet him.